Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. My guests today are Kimberly Johnson and Rob Alexander, both of whom I'm pleased to welcome back to the broadcast. Kimberly is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Fannie Mae, a leader in the secondary mortgage market with revenues exceeding $120 billion annually. As COO, she's responsible for overseeing the company's technology, operations, innovation, data, and strategic execution functions. Over the past dozen years, Kimberly has held a variety of executive roles at Fannie Mae, including Chief Risk Officer and Chief Credit Officer. Rob Alexander is the Chief Information Officer of Capital One, a role he's held for more than a decade and a half. Capital One is a Fortune 100 bank with revenues of nearly $31 billion annually. In this interview, we focus on people and talent strategy. Rob discusses how Capital One's talent transformation was critical in supporting the company's massive technology transformation, which has included insourcing IT and building technology internally, as well as moving its data centers to the cloud. Kimberly discusses the importance of teamwork in driving innovation and how Fannie Mae rapidly responded to enable teams to continue to collaborate during the COVID pandemic. She also emphasizes the need for diverse teams to develop the best ideas. If you enjoy Technovation, please consider reading my new book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. The book is available now through Amazon or wherever else you buy books. As a special offer to our CXO listeners, if you purchase 50 books for your team or more, I would be happy to join your team for a group discussion on it. To learn more, write us at info at or visit gettingtonimble.com. This interview was recorded live during the MetaStrategy Digital Symposium in March of 2021. And now for a word from our partner, Aptio. Digital transformation is a journey, not a destination. Technology decisions teams make today determines the success of tomorrow. That's why Aptio is dedicated to helping companies harness the power of trusted, actionable insights. It's called technology business management, and more than 60% of the Fortune 100 are already using it to speed their innovation. Learn more about how Aptio can help you connect your technology decisions to better business outcomes. Visit Aptio.com. And now on to the interview. Kimberly, Rob, welcome. It's so great to see you both. Thank you. Great. Well, Rob, let me begin with you. Um, When you assumed your role as chief information officer, as I mentioned, nearly a decade and a half ago at, at Capital One, uh, it dawned on you that the old model of technology uh, was not going to be the model that would take the organization forward. Uh, that as you looked for parallels, as you looked at companies to emulate, they weren't necessarily the ones in your own industry, but they were the ones that were, where technology was really at the heart of what they did. And you had the ambition to create a technology company that happened to be in the financial services space and then went about the hard process of changing a culture and changing the people and the skills uh, in order to, to bring that to life. And I wonder if you, if you reflect back to the beginning of that journey and the several years of transformation that, uh, that, that came, a transformation that, that there's no, no real ending point to these sorts of transformations. Talk a bit about some of the building blocks uh, that you put in place, some of those early stages in order to create a, 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 a true technology organization across the entire enterprise? Sure. Um, well, well, let me start. Uh, I'll wind the clock back to about 2012. And I would say that was the time when it was really becoming apparent to us at Capital One that the world was changing in a very significant way. And that banking as an industry was very much getting swept up in that. Uh, digital experiences were just transforming the expectations of customers in every industry. So it wasn't necessarily what the next bank was doing. It's like, what are all these experiences, these digital experiences that shape what customers expect? 
and and we really quickly came to believe that the future of banking was likely to be owned by great technology companies that also had the key skills of of great banks, but you needed to be a great technology company. And and as we looked at ourselves, like many large enterprises, you know, we had a very outsourced IT model. We relied on third-party systems and the traditional enterprise technology vendors. And it really became apparent to us that this model just wouldn't be successful for where the world was going. Uh, and I wouldn't say, you know, we had all the answers. We just woke up and had all the answers on day one, but we knew we really needed to make a dramatic change and we needed to be faster and more nimble with new capabilities for our customers. And really, you know, I would describe it as we needed to be in control of our own destiny. Um, and so, you know, it started with this idea that we needed to move much faster. Agile, you know, was kind of the obvious answer to that. But what we really crashed into very quickly was we didn't have the internal engineering workforce to really constitute agile teams that were working together in person in a really iterative kind of way, which is the way agile is supposed to work. So, uh, you know, the talent transformation became very central to, to what we needed to, to do. We also, though, realized that if we want to attract that great talent, you got to work in the way that best technology companies work, right? You can't, uh, you can't bring a whole bunch of, um, you know, modern technologists in and, and, and have them be uh, database administrators on, you know, mainframe systems. So, so uh, it really began a comprehensive change for us in our technology operating model. So it, it was about building our own technology, not relying on vendors. It was about building on the cloud. Um, and in our case, it's the public cloud with AWS. They're our strategic cloud partner. It's about agile and DevOps. Um, it's about building on an open source foundation and, and allowing our engineers to, to give back to the open source community. Um, and it's uh, really critically about really leveraging data and leveraging the vast amounts of data that are available that, that you know, in legacy environments uh, often can't be tapped into uh, and also relying on way more sophisticated algorithms, including machine learning. Mm. So, you know, now nine years later, uh, I think we've completely redefined what our organization is, what we build and how we serve our customers. We're now entirely on the cloud. So we've gotten out of the last of our data centers in 2020, we're the only bank, and in fact, one of just a handful of really legacy enterprises that have migrated from an on-prem environment entirely to the cloud. So we operate entirely now on AWS. We've re rebuilt 80% of our applications along the way to be cloud native. So it wasn't just a lift and shift, it was a, it was a rebuild. We now have a, a, a tech organization of nearly 11,000 associates. 85% um, of those are engineers working on sprint teams building software. So it is it is a scale software delivery organization today as opposed to, you know, a traditional outsourced IT model. Uh, and we've entirely transformed our data. So moving to a modern cloud-based data ecosystem with a consistent set of, of tools and processes across the enterprise, which is really, I think, essential an essential foundation for a machine learning future. And I think our strategy is, is so going to be dependent upon data and machine learning for the future. And, and having that foundation in place is really, really essential. And, and, and I think, you know, and to kind of wrap it all up, I think most companies underestimate the comprehensive all-in nature of this kind of transformation. It's a system transformation. Talent's very much at the middle of it, but all these other components, the operating model, the culture, all of those things have to go together to, to make the transformation happen. It's not just, oh, we're doing a cloud program and that's going to get us there. You really have to look at, I think, all of the dimensions 
uh, of of this transformation and what it takes to to really become a technology company. Yeah. Yeah, very great overview. Thank you for that. Kimberly, let me turn to you. And I'd like, if you don't mind, also to turn the clock back a little bit to talk about some of the change that you've helped usher in now as a longtime executive uh, within Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae, a storied history uh, of an organization that was hit particularly badly in 2008. And I wonder, as you as you reflect back on the aftermath of that and the changes that were necessary in order to create the healthy organization that is there now, um, what were some of the cultural touchstones that you turned to? What were some of the ways in which you thought about how people work together uh, and how to motivate people during a very trying time to be part of that change going forward uh, in order to make sure that you were realizing that vision uh, of a better tomorrow? No, thank you so much, Peter. I think culture is one of those really important things to talk about. And it means so many things to so many people, but I, I like to think of it mostly as beliefs and behaviors. And I think some of the things that we learned, and, and the threads are there from the last crisis we went through or in the, the housing meltdown back in 2007, 2008, until the crisis we're still going through today. What we learned at the time was that it, it really is around reaction. And you know, it's great if you can anticipate, but crises are hard to anticipate. So you have to be able to react quickly and respond. And I can remember I was working on the team that was there when we first went into the housing crisis and we were trying to put uh, foreclosure solutions into the market. It took us almost a year and millions of dollars to build out all the right people, process, talent, the, the, the systems that we needed. And what's wonderful is that almost a year ago, when we saw the whole country going into sort of simultaneous lockdown and we saw unemployment rates spike 14%, there was a panic that we were going to have a really serious economic impact, especially in terms of housing and people being able to make payments. And in less than a month, we put a forbearance solution into the market. And that would have taken us, you know, just a phenomenal amount of time if we hadn't been able to modernize our systems and put in place really good loss mitigation policies, worked on relationships with our servicers so that we could actually put these solutions at scale into the market at speed. And I think that's what's been a really nice thing to see in the pandemic is that, you know, the, the speed and agility that we've always talked about as being important, it starts to have a lot more meaning when you realize like you're helping your friends and neighbors be able to stay in their houses because you were able to do something quickly and address their needs as fast as possible. So, and, and it sounds like, Kimberly, that the, the hard work done in the immediate aftermath of the last crisis is really paying dividends now. Not to say that yours, like any organization, hasn't been going through, you know, its own bumps uh, during a very trying time for us all. But it sounds like a lot of the changes that, that came as a result of uh, the corrective action, the, the, the renewal of the organization, uh, created a built-in resilience that is now uh, playing out and, and benefiting your company during during this now, the next crisis. Is that fair to say? I think that's a really fair thing to say. We recognize our responsibility sort of at the center of the ecosystem and having to be resilient and making sure that we had the right safety nets in place. And so our modernization journey was long and arduous, but it, it's definitely paid off in spades. And I, I'd say the other thing that's been really you know, it's hard to say anything is nice about a pandemic. <laughs> but the thing that we've, we've seen come to fruition is that, you know, for, for people who are working from home and schooling from home and pretty much doing everything from home, home is more important than it's ever been before. And so a big piece of what drives people at Fannie Mae and motivates them is about that mission and making homes available to people and affordable to people means more now than it ever has before. So I think that's been something nice that's given us that connection at a time when we're all remote. We can still really be connected through the mission. 
Yeah, that's what wonderful anecdotes. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Rob, turning back to you, I want to talk further about the the people change necessary to bring to life what you described in your first response in terms of creating this engineering uh, focused organization that's, that was oriented now more towards building than the traditional buying of technology. Um, you began with a a series of hires that were a bit more senior, pioneers, as you referred to it once with me, people who had a pioneering attitude uh, who could then themselves become proselytizers to the rest of the organization with regard to the change and create sort of a software uh, a center of excellence. But what I found is really interesting about your journey is you also focused, if anything, more so at the bottom of the pyramid of building great talent at the bottom and finding really fantastic people who some of whom can be pulled through your structure uh, to become leaders relatively quickly, developing a reputation as a talent factory of sorts that becomes kind of a positive snowball, a a uh, a, a, a way that the organization continues to improve as its reputation does. Talk a bit about the methods that you've used in order to do so, please. Sure. Well, um, we we put a lot of effort into our campus recruiting programs, and I, I would describe it as kind of the crown jewel of our whole kind of uh, recruiting effort is is what we do on college campuses. Uh, and I would say there are three parts to our campus program. Um, one is the, our set of summer internship programs that we have, and these are for rising juniors and for rising seniors. Uh, and in some cases, we actually go all the way back to rising sophomores. Um, we have uh, a, a full-time technology development program. So we hire full-time out of you know, college grads. And then we put them through a two-year uh, training and rotation program, um, which really, and then we kind of release them into our organization broadly to, into roles, but it's a very deliberate kind of rotation program for the first two years. Um, and the third piece is, is, uh, is a little newer. It, we, we call it Capital One Developer Academy. Uh, and this is, and we we set this up recognizing that first of all, the the, the skills that we're looking for are in high demand, and there's you know there's a lot of competition for great software engineers, and principally for internship program and our in our full time development program, we're hiring computer science majors. I mean that's our that's our core target uh, group there, but we recognized as well that um, there's not great diversity in that population in addition to it being, uh, you know, in demand. And so we created this Capital One Developer Academy to go kind of a, a few kind of concentric circles out from computer science to still kind of analytical degrees, quantitative degrees, but recognizing, hey, those folks may not have maybe really high potential problem solvers, great communicators, maybe great cultural fits, but they don't have the practical skills of coding. And we can teach those. So we hire those folks, bring them in, and we actually full-time, they dedicate them to training. Uh, and it's a six-month training program um, to be software engineers. And we find that um, they come into the organization after those six months, really, you know, because we've trained them in how we work, they actually hit the ground running really well, better than kind of fresh college hires. Um, and, uh, and we get a much better kind of diversity uh, in that population as well, which is important. Um, so, so those are the three parts. Uh, our, our campus program, we, we recruit predominantly from the top 30 colleges for computer science. Um, in, our, in our internship program, this year we'll have uh, a, about 700 in our internship program in technology at Capital One. Um, and that's grown from, you know, we just started, uh, I think, 2011 or so with about 40. So we've massively scaled it. And the goal of our internship program is we want to have the internship program returnees 
fill, you know, as much, if not all of the full-time hires as possible. So, you know, going or upstream to get the best candidates, I think is, is really essential these days in, in, in this kind of market. And so, um, so that's very much been our strategy and our internship program has been, um, you know, really gets positive feedback. It's been nationally recognized as a top internship program for software engineers. So we've been really proud of that. And, um, you know, I was really proud of my team last year when, when uh, during the pandemic, we really pivoted and made it a, a really engaging internship program entirely virtual, which was, uh, you know, not an easy thing to do on, on short notice. Um, but, uh, and then the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, this is a, this is a many year brand building effort. When you're talking about kind of building this program on a network of the top computer science programs across the country, you've got to invest year after year and recognize that, you know, it's a, it's like building a brand. It's a sustained investment that's going back every year. It's having your interns return back and market your program on campus. And it's having your your graduates go back on campus and really sell who you know who the company is and what we're doing. And I th- I think we have probably a much stronger technology brand as a company on on college campuses actually than we than we probably do in the marketplace as a result. That's really interesting, and I love this longer term perspective of hiring junior. Some of those will take longer to get to the top of your structure, but by focusing on that, you're developing something that is going to be more sustainable as more people kind of live that culture from the bottom up and can become teachers to the to, to those uh, behind them, having done all the jobs or many of the jobs anyway through their own rises. Very, very smart. Uh, Kimberly, exactly. turning back to you, uh, you and I have spoken in the past about the importance of diverse teams as well, that diversity being a source of innovation, of great ideas. And I wonder if you can talk Talk a bit about in building diverse teams and continuing to strive for greater levels of diversity in the various forms that are appropriate. Um, what are some of the methods that, that that have worked particularly well for you? Yeah, no, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, there's so much emphasis on diversity these days, and people like to think about gender and race and ethnicity, and those are definitely important, and you have to pay attention to them. But lots of times, they're also used as sort of a shortcut as a way of getting at people having different skills and experiences and styles and perspectives. And I think those are the things you have to be very careful to look for, right? And when I'm thinking about teams, innovation is a team sport. You have to think about how each of the individuals that you're you're choosing to be on your team are going to work together. You can't just pick a collection of fantastic individuals and expect to get a great outcome. You have to think about how they're going to interact and you've got to find the right skills, right? Like I like to find, you know, some dreamers and some problem spotters and have them work together. Some folks who are really thinking about how you're going to get things done and other people who are thinking about what you're going to do with it when it's finished. And and you have to have folks who are, are really focused on what you need to be doing in the next 90 days while others are really on that five-year horizon, imagining what's next and preparing for future. And if you don't get the balance of thought, leadership, and styles, and just the way people work together, you don't get great outcomes. So, so I think that's something that's really important to focus on. But it's also important to note, teamwork is hard, right? Getting all those people to work together in ways that, that brings the best out of everyone is a real challenge. You can't just have a mixture of skills. You also have to find people who are integrators, who can bring those things together and make sure that it's not just a, a combative, you know, a best ideas contest, but a way of actually integrating your thoughts and ideas together, your perspectives, so that you get to those great solutions and outcomes. And I found just a quick follow-up question to you, Kimberly. I found that it takes um, less people than you would think to be those change agents. And I wonder if that's been the case uh, in your experience as well. 
I, I think it's true. If you get the right spark, it, it gets contagious. You can get other people to come along as long as you can demonstrate the way. And so, again, you've got to have folks who are the, the believers who are going to go out and really evangelize for your, your great ideas and your, your innovations and your, your change and your adaptive movements. But you also have to have a few that are going to catch on and, and follow along and be the fast followers, too. So, so we found that tipping point comes quicker than you think. That's fantastic. Well, Rob Alexander, Kimberly Johnson, thank you both so much for sharing your insights. Two really remarkable transformations at, at two fantastic uh, uh, companies. Uh, these are these are certainly leaders to emulate in terms of the practices that they've instituted. I thank you both for for your your uh, contribution to the conversation today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us on Monday when my guest will be Seth Cohen, the Global Chief Information Officer of PepsiCo.